Have you ever disappointed anybody? Anybody ever disappointed somebody? Yeah, all right. Those of you who didn't raise your hand just lied. Uh, you're in church. Don't do that, okay? Now, second question. How many of you have ever been disappointed by somebody? I mean, to ask those questions really is to answer them, right? We've all disappointed people, and we've all been disappointed by people. And uh, that's the idea that I want to speak to you about uh, today, disappointing or grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been disappointed, you know how that feels. I don't just mean that somebody blew you off or something like that, but if you've had disappointment, a relational disappointment, relationship disappointment, it could be a loved one, a family member, it could be a, a close friend, somehow they let you down, they disappointed you, then if you've experienced that, you know how that feels. And you know if you've done it, and you know how that feels to someone that you have disappointed. But do you ever stop to think about the fact that you can disappoint the Spirit of God? That you can hurt the Spirit of God? And that's what our passage talks about this morning. And it's a subject that we don't talk about a lot. We may mention it in passing. Maybe you've heard the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit before. How many of you have ever heard that term, grieving the Holy Spirit? Okay, you've heard that term before, to grieve the Holy Spirit. But I bet most of you have never heard a sermon on it. Because we just kind of touch on it, don't, well, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, you know, and then we kind of move on. But today I want to spend a little time because our series is Life in the Spirit. And if we're going to really learn how to live life in the Spirit, we have to understand this. We have to understand what is it that we do that disappoints the Spirit of God. Because we know how we feel when we have been disappointed or how we feel when we've disappointed someone else. So how does the Holy Spirit, what, what disappoints Him? Because if we're going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're going to live life in the Spirit, one of the things that we must not do is grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why I've simply name this message, Do Not Grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me? We'll read a couple of these verses. You notice also in your outline is the reference to Isaiah 6, uh, um, 63.10, and we'll reference that a little bit later. We're not going to read it right now. But beginning in verse 29, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, thank you for these truths from your word. I pray that you will open our hearts and enlighten our minds, Father, with the Holy Spirit and with your holy word. Teach us, instruct us, Father, in the way that we should go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, <clears throat> the first thing as it re relates to the passage we just read that, that we need to, to understand is that there are some truths that are stated and affirmed uh, in, the, in the passage that we just read. The first thing that we need to understand is that, that it is plainly stated that the Holy Spirit is a person and not merely a spiritual influence. Now, don't miss this. It, the, the Holy Spirit how, is, is assigned these kind of attributes that we understand, that you can disappoint Him. Well, that's, a, that's an attribute that we understand as humans, that we can be disappointed. We might think, well, can the Holy Spirit? Yes, the Holy Spirit can be disappointed. It doesn't change His divinity or anything like that, but it does point to the fact that He is a He, 
And by the way, masculine, so I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but there are, there are, there are some interpreters out there that try to neuter uh, the, the gender of God. And there are places in the Scripture where in the Greek it is in the neuter. We say that means it just means people. But when the Holy Spirit talks to you, he's masculine. It's a he, okay? It's not an it. And a lot of people kind of interpret the Holy Spirit to be some kind of just spiritual blob, you know, or spiritual thing. But, but this text, um, with others, makes clear that the Spirit of God is a person, not just a spiritual influence. He is an influencer, but he is the Spirit of God, which, by the way, means he is equal to God. He is the third part of what we call the divine Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three different roles, uh, three different expressions of the unity of God. And so it is, a, uh, it is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, we need to understand that, that th- this text states that not only is the Holy Spirit a person, he is the divine person. He is God. And so he's not, uh, again, just uh, an influence of God. He is God. And then third, we need to understand that this text states that the Spirit of God is not only the divine person of God, but he dwells in us. And consequently, because he resides in us, he can be disappointed by us. It's also important to understand verse 30 is warning. It it is a warning to us. Um, The statement when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that is, uh, if you've been coming here long enough, you've heard me talk about on a number of occasions, you've heard me talking uh, about what we uh, often see in the Greek, and even in the English, but in the Greek text in particular, what we call an imperative. An imperative is a command. So when he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, this is a command. And by the way, it is emphatic. Now, there are lots of places in the Scripture where God warns us. And almost every time God warns us, it is an imperative meaning it is a command. God is saying, listen, get this. I'm not fooling around. The reason God gives it to us in the form of a command is because we need to understand how serious God takes it. And so this is a command. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's emphatic. Years ago, uh, when our daughter had gotten her learner's permit, by the way, let let me just share something since you asked about my daughter. We just received, well, didn't just receive. I'm going to be a granddad again uh, in April. Uh, she's going to deliver to us a, a grandchild. And I know that that child will be as brilliant as our, uh, our only grandson right now. I've told you how brilliant he is. But, um, but at any rate, years ago when our daughter had gotten her learner's permit, and some of you may have had a child where you you taught how to you taught them to drive that sort of thing and uh, parents know the anxiety that comes with that she'd gotten her learner's permit she always came to church because we came came in different vehicles she would come with her mom and I because I'm here much earlier and and so I would get here but she would always ride back home with me and so on this particular Sunday she said dad can I drive us home and I thought well yeah this is I mean she'd been driving enough to do this so so I said sure and so we got in the car 
and we're headed, um, we're headed toward the circle, okay? We're here on Fortner. We're headed toward the circle. And y'all know down by the eye uh, clinic here that, uh, you know, there's a, that, that little kind of uh, curl that takes you on to the circle, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, in those days, it was before they'd expanded, before there was a full lane and everything, and before there was a sign that said, keep moving. Y'all do know there's a sign there that says, keep moving. Hello? How many of you have come close to losing your faith? You see, y'all can blow at them, but I can't. Because they could just go, oh, that's the preacher back there who's blowing, you know? But uh, at any rate, there was a yield sign before they had that lane in and everything. So you had, y'all know what yield, how many of you know what yield means? Yield means if there's traffic coming, you do something. What do you do? Stop. Well, we're here, we're going. And she just keeps, she's just, cru- she makes the turn and, and, I look, happen to look back, and there's a semi coming. It's not at the red light yet, but it is coming, and I mean it is moving. And she is about to merge into the traffic, and I realize she's about, and if she does, I'm not embellishing this, life is over for us. We're in her Honda, and I see this truck coming, and it dawns on me, she's going to keep going and try to just just merge right in. There's no way. The, suddenly, and here's what I do, all right, when I see that. I go, ah! <laughs> Well, I didn't do that because I couldn't get anything out. No, what I did is I went, stop! And she hits the brakes and we stop. And my heart is somewhere up here in my head. (laughs) Y'all ever been there? And she says, well, Daddy, it said yield. I said, exactly. She said, I thought that meant yield, and you just go right, right on into the traffic. You just yield right. I said, sweetheart, it means for you to stop if there's traffic coming. If it doesn't mean they're to yield for you. It means you are to yield to them. Well, she learned a lesson, by the way. And um, I couldn't talk for a day. I want to tell you something, and I'll tell you the way really tell you. When I screamed stop, it was emphatic. Because it was a warning, and it was a life or death warning. I want to tell you something. If she hadn't have stopped, I would not be your pastor today. Uh, Maybe you've been there. Well, when God gives a warning, it is emphatic. He's not saying, well, hey, look, now think about it. Don't don't grieve the Spirit. He's saying, do not grieve the Spirit. Because when you do, you do it to your own peril. That's why I didn't make a suggestion in that moment. Say, sweetheart, there's a semi coming, and it might be wise for you to stop this vehicle. First of all, I didn't have time. There was only one word that would work in that moment. There was just not enough time to, to share my opinion. I think if you pull out, we're going to be dead. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have that time. So emphatically, I screamed, stop, she stopped. When God says, do something, it is emphatic. Does that make sense? 
When God warns us, he's saying, he's, he's yelling at us to say, uh, uh, don't. And in this case, that's what God is doing. Now, let me make an important uh, distinction about something. There are two ideas that are expressed uh, clearly in the New Testament that are often confused. And it gets back to essentially two Greek words. And see if you've heard these before. You've heard this one. We just read it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard from the book of Thessalonians, another statement Paul makes, do not quench the Holy Spirit? How many of you have heard both of those? Now, let me tell you what a common, a common uh, issue is, that people, people confuse those two as being the same thing. They're not the same thing at all. In fact, there are two entirely different Greek words. The word for grieve and the word for quench are two entirely different things. And you have to understand that because there are a lot of people that just assume that they are the same. Let me tell you what the word grieve means in the Greek. It means to afflict with sorrow. I mean, it's, it, it means to wound. It means to hurt, to disappoint, to bring sorrow. When you and I do, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it brings sorrow to the Holy Spirit. And so that's what the word grieve means. The word quench is an entirely different Greek word. And it means, literally, to put out. It's the picture of dumping water, a pail of water, on a fire. There's a fire burning, and it's put out. So they're two completely different words in the Scripture. They both have very powerful uh, meanings, but the meanings are different. Both of them denote a connection with the Holy Spirit. Both of them uh, denote uh, life in the Spirit, but they are completely different in their application. So grieving the Spirit then is something internal. It's personal. When you grieve the Spirit, it's personal. I guess you could say in a larger sense that it can become corporate, but think of grieve, and this is what Paul's talking to these believers about, is when you personally disappoint the Spirit of God. You are grieving uh, God. You're disappointed. Quenching the Spirit is, for example, when the Spirit of God is moving in a place and with your attitude or with your resistance to what the Spirit of God can be any number of ways, you actually shut down His ability uh, to move. Did you know you can do that? Do you know churches can do that? Now, I've preached in over 40 years, I've preached in a lot of different churches. In fact, I was uh, telling the first hour, I remember when this church, their search committee, uh, came to hear me the second time. I was serving uh, in Atlanta, and they came to hear me the second time. And I preached in a church, I won't tell you the name of the church or where it was here in Alabama, if they'd asked me. And so the committee from Ridgecrest came to hear me. And I won't ever forget, when I got up to preach that morning, I thought, this place is cold and hard. And I don't know that you can always tell it, but preachers, you can tell if the audience is, is, is receptive to the message and to the Spirit of God. And by the way, it's one of the things I love about Ridgecrest is, uh, guys, you are fun to preach to because I always feel like you're listening. And, and uh, I, I remember getting up that morning to preach, and I thought, oh, no. These people are here, but they are not the least bit interested in anything that the Spirit of God. I don't, know, I don't know how to explain how you know that, but so I preached. And I have to tell you something, I struggled. Man, I struggled. Because if, if, if 
there's not a freedom of the Spirit, you will often struggle to deliver the message of the Spirit because it's resistant. The, the atmosphere is resistant. It can be attitudes or traditions or all kinds of things. And I struggled. Man, I just thought, this is one of the worst messages, Chuck, I've ever preached. Not this one. It might be before I'm done. But, but I just struggled. And the committee was out there. Now, I'd already told God, God, I'll go. I'll stay where I am. I don't, I, you know, I'm not looking for anything. I wasn't looking to leave or anything like that. Okay, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I did have this thought while they're sitting out there and I'm preaching. I thought, this is the worst message I've ever preached in my life. This will settle the matter with them. They will leave and go, we missed on that guy. And let's start looking elsewhere. Well, they asked, would I go to lunch with them there? Uh, that day, and we went to lunch, and, and uh, we're sitting around talking. And I just kind of said, guys, I, I just I, I apologize for the environment that we were all in today. I said, frankly, I said, I have to tell you, I struggled in my message. And, um, because, and this is what they said. They said, Whew. and I thought, what does that mean? They said, we thought it was just us, that the place was so cold and hard. And they said, when we got in our van, I'm in my car, they're in their van. When we got in our van to leave to come to the restaurant, we all began to talk to each other about the place. And we said, he's the guy. Because if anybody can preach a sermon to that crowd, they would be able to preach to anybody. They took it in a different direction than I did. I thought, this is a (laughs) career-ending sermon. But that atmosphere was one that quenched the Spirit of God. And by the way, you say, yeah, well, it probably takes a bunch of people. No, do you know I've been, I've preached in places before where I I could see an attitude or something in people and think, that person is shutting the Spirit of God down. One of you can shut the Spirit of God down by simply saying, I don't want to hear this, I'm not going to. Now, now, it might not, but it can. That's what quenching the Spirit is. Now, Now, having said that and clarified that, today I'm not going to talk about quenching the Spirit, but y'all understand what that is, so you won't confuse that in the future. We're going to talk, and I'm going to give you three ways that we quench, I mean that we, (laughs) see, that we grieve the Holy Spirit, all right, from our text. Now, are you ready? How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is grieved, number one, through sinful conversations. Verse 29, where we began our text here, says, let no corrupting talk come out of your, your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying is really what he's saying. It ministers grace to the people that hear. Now, I broke into the context because I want you to see some. Paul has given a number of things. He's saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they're in the imperatives. Most of them are. But this begins kind of a, a, a segment that I think is very important for us to understand because you notice he says... It, he says, and uh, in verse 30, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So he suddenly goes to this matter of conversation, and then he connects this thing to grieving the Holy Spirit. All right? Uh, there are a few things, there are a few things that get us in as much trouble as our mouth does. Would you agree with that? There are a few things in life that get us in trouble as much as our mouth does. I remember the story of a, a young man. He worked in the produce department of a grocery store. And there was a lady who walked up to him, and she said, could I buy a half a head of lettuce? 
And he just looked at her and he said, a half a head of lettuce? He said, man, we don't sell half heads of lettuce. He said, God grows them as holes and that's how we send them and sell them. She said, you mean to tell me after all the years of my shopping in this store, how I've been such a faithful and devoted customer to this grocery store, that you wouldn't sell me a half a head of lettuce? He said, man, we just don't, we don't have them that way. She, he said, now, I can go and ask the manager if you want me to, but she said, well, yeah, I'd like you to do that. And so he goes he, to the front of the store, he goes to seek out the manager, and he comes to the manager, and he finds the manager, and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I need to ask you a question. He said, there's some idiotic, lame brain woman. And while he's saying this, he sees the manager going, just making a little gesture at him. He said, he kind of looked puzzled. He said, I'm telling you, this idiotic, lame brain woman, and she asked me, would we sell her a half a head of lettuce? And he's going, and about so he decides, he looks over and there's the woman right behind him, listening to the whole thing. She had followed him to the front of the store. And when he realizes that she's standing there, he looks back at the manager and says, and this nice lady would like to buy the other half. <laughs> well, later in that day, the manager finds him and he says, man, that was brilliant. How, you think so quick on your feet. He said, where did you learn to think like that and act so quickly? He said, well, he said, I'm from Grand Rapids. And he said, you know, Grand Rapids is known. You learn to think quick in Grand Rapids. He said, because it's known for two things. It's known for ugly women and great hockey teams. And um, the manager suddenly, his face went flush, and he said, my wife's from Grand Rapids. And the young guy quickly looked back and said, which hockey team did she play for? <laughs> That's pretty qu quick, isn't it? Now, you may can repair some things, right, that you say to other people. You may be able to, to repair some of those things uh, from time to time. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit knows everything that you talk about. And that's why Jesus even said, that we will all give an account of our idle words. The Holy Spirit knows everything that comes out of your mouth, which is why you have to surrender your mouth to the Spirit's control. James is probably the foremost biblical expert on the tongue. And if you go to James chapter 3, you don't have to do that now, but he talks about the, the, the tongue, how powerful it is. He says this in chapter 3 and verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. We all do. We mess up. But he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. Your translation may say perfect, but the better word is mature. If anyone, in other words, can control their mouth, that represents a degree of spiritual maturity. And then he says, and they're able to control their whole body. He says, if you're capable of controlling your mouth, you're probably capable of controlling a whole lot of other things about your behavior. How destructive is the tongue? He goes on to say, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness, he says. The tongue is set among our members, and it stains our whole body. Your tongue can stain you. And then he says, setting on fire the entire course of your life. And it, he says, is set on fire by hell. Now listen, 
How do we grieve the Holy Spirit with our talk and with our tongue? When we misuse it, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why he starts off by saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting talk grieves the Spirit of God. And listen, you only have two real options. You understand that based on what James is saying? Your mouth is either under the control of the Spirit of God or it is under control of hell. If it's not under the Spirit's control, James makes clear it is under the control of hell. So how do you how do you grieve the Spirit with your tongue? Well, let me suggest several things. You grieve the Spirit with your tongue when you use your tongue to criticize other people. It grieves the Holy Spirit. You use your tongue, when you use your tongue to spread lies and gossip, it grieves the whole Holy Spirit. When you affirm or laugh at and use morally corrupt language, it grieves the Spirit of God. And that's why our mouth should, we should, God put a check on my mouth. I recently had a thing where I had to ask Jesus to put a check on my mouth so I didn't say the wrong thing. God, guard my tongue. Because my tongue, if it's, in, if it's under the control of my flesh, means it's under the control of hell and isn't going to get me in trouble. It's going to make me say things I shouldn't say or, or, or affirm things I shouldn't affirm. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we use our tongues to imply or even plant negative ideas in the hearts of other people. And we grieve the Holy Spirit with our tongue when we use it to curse others, you know, to, to wish evil and ruin upon another person. James, in that same chapter, in chapter 3, he goes on to say, with the same tongue we bless God and then we curse our fellow man. And he said, this shouldn't be. Now, we've been in here, when we sing and praise, guess what we're doing? We're using our mouths to, to bless God. Be careful, though, that you don't grieve the Spirit by walking out of this place and using your mouth to curse someone. I want evil on them. I hope it doesn't go well for them to begin criticizing them. That all grieves the Spirit of God. And we grieve the Spirit of God when we use our tongue to misrepresent God or His Word. That's particularly important for preachers. James chapter 3, he starts that section about the tongue with something interesting. He says, let not many of you become teachers. Why in the world would he put that in the category of tongue? Because you have influence if you're a teacher or a preacher. And he says, let not many of you become teachers or preachers or whatever else. And by the way, all of us are teachers and preachers on some level. He says, knowing that we shall incur a greater condemnation. Why? Because what's coming out of your mouth better be consistent with what God says. Or we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But what is the Spirit? What, what happens when the Spirit's in control? Well, in the last part of verse 29, he says, but we use our tongue for building up. As it fits the occasion, it ministers grace to those who hear. Your tongue becomes an instrument of blessing from God. Our staff prays every Sunday morning. We pray for the service and among other things. And, and one of the things this morning that we prayed was, God, let us use our mouths to encourage somebody, uh, to, to uplift someone uh, today. God, give us, a, as we walk through the halls or on this campus, let us bless and encourage someone with our, our mouths. 
We talked about it in a previous message, Ephesians 5, 18, 19. Do not get drunk with wine, where is is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then immediately following that, uh, being filled with the Spirit, he identifies how we connect with people. And he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now you say, well, so, so he's talking about addressing one another, and this is why he's not, he doesn't mean that everything you say has to be put in the form of a song. Because that might not bless everybody, right? If you had to hear everybody sing something, you know, if I went up to uh, Alan said, uh, and Steve and, and all the, their crew and Bradley, and I said, hey, I'm going to, let me just sing to you what God is doing in me. They're, they're going to go, that's a train wreck. Don't do that anymore. That didn't bless me. That's not what he's talking about. But did you notice at the end he said, making melody in what class? There's a song in your heart. When the Spirit of God, there's an encouraging song in your heart. And guess what? Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see that? And that's all because of the Spirit of God inside of us. If the Spirit doesn't control your mouth, listen, hell will. And you will grieve the Holy Spirit. And you'll limit the work of the Spirit in your life. So give control of your tongue to the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life. And you may have to pray this a lot. There are some people that just kind of get your tongue moving the wrong way. Hello? And you may have to say, Lord, guard my tongue. Lord, let my tongue have on it the Holy Spirit so that I don't say anything that will grieve you. And you say, well, some people deserve what I want to say. That's not your call. It's the Spirit's call. The situation I'm talking about in my own life just this past week, and our staff knows because I said, you pray for me that the Lord will put a check on my tongue because I, I don't need to say what I want to say. And a lot of times our tongues get us in trouble because we're saying what we want to say, not because of what Jesus uh, wants us to say. And I did. I later told Chuck, I said, the Lord kept a check on my tongue. The Lord kept a check on my tongue. So let the Spirit control. And you may have to do this a lot. Oh, Lord, I give my tongue to you. Lord, I uh, uh, put a guard on my tongue, okay? And uh, the second thing I want you to see that will, that will grieve the Holy Spirit is uh, a spiritual insubordination. Spiritual insubordination. Now, that's just a long word for saying disobedience. You're insubordinate or insubordination is just disobedience. And in Isaiah 63, 10, you know, the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. We don't talk as much about it from the Old Testament. It's very active. And in in Isaiah 63, 10, it says, but they, that is the people of God, which if you're a Christian, you are now grafted in to the people of God. It says, but they, the people of God, rebelled and grieved and grieved his Holy Spirit. And therefore God, it says he, but God turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them. Now let me tell you what's going on here. If you read the verses before verse 10, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God, God is saying, I've been so good to them. I've blessed them. I've favored them. I've forgiven them. I've shown mercy to them. Uh, I have provided for them. I have been with them in their affliction. Uh, so he's just he's recounting all the things that God has been to them. And then suddenly in verse 10, he goes, but they rebelled. In spite of all that I've done for them, they rebelled and it grieved the Holy Spirit. 
you grieve the Holy Spirit when you disobey God. And sometimes the hand of discipline from God will be very strong when you grieve him. And it will appear as though he is your enemy fighting against you. In that passage, if you go read it, he says, and I turned on them and I became their enemy. I've been their friend. I've been doing all this. But because they grieved me and they rebelled against me, I turned on them. Now, he didn't really turn on them in the sense that we think of that, but he did in the sense of discipline. So when they looked at what have we done that God is all of a sudden, he, he is, he is uh, uh, punishing us. He's come after us like we are the enemy. What, what's happening there is really God, the loving Father, is disciplining them. Now, back to Ephesians 4. The verse is below verse 30, which is the focal verse. But if you go on, the verse above, 29, and then the verse below, he starts saying, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What is he doing there? He's also connecting various rebellious behavior and saying, see, so verse 30 is kind of the hinge on for the verses before and the verses after, these are the things he's saying grieve the Holy Spirit. Rebellion grieves the Holy Spirit and rebellious behavior. And by the way, the scripture is very clear about uh, a rebellious uh, behavior that is associated with your flesh. For example, in Galatians 5, 19, listen to what Paul writes. He says, now the works of the flesh, you remember in a previous sermon we talked about from Romans 7, that the Bible talks about this great war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And right here he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he said, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about rebellious behavior that reflects a lifestyle. It's not an all-inclusive list. In fact, he makes the point. He says, and things like these. But it does represent a life that is in rebellion to God. And it is a life under the influence of the flesh that has led to rebellion. And it reflects, in, he says, in some cases, that some folks may not even actually be heirs to the kingdom of God. He goes on, by the way, in that same chapter to say... But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we then live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So he contrasts the rebellion associated with the flesh versus the compatibility and power of the Holy Spirit that operates in our life when we walk, he says, literally, when we walk in step with the Spirit. That means instead of us out in front or dragging behind the Spirit, the Spirit residing in us has been given control, and so wherever he leads, we go. We're in step with the Spirit. By the way, that's the antidote uh, to rebellion, and that is obedience to uh, the Spirit uh, and the direction of God. Anytime that you and I are disobedient or we are in the, in the disobeying uh, uh, process, we grieve and disappoint the Holy Spirit. Now, there are times where God deals with rebellion consistent with the rebellious attitude and behavior. There are times 
God just doesn't say, okay, you just keep on rebelling and keep on rebelling and just keep on. I'm not going to mess with you anymore. Now, he can give us over to reprobate mind. That's another message. and that's where, but, but God, if you're his child, God does have limits. He, he will say, and that's what happened here in Isaiah 63. He says to them, okay, enough's enough. They had just recounted all the reasons they ought to be completely obedient, and, yes, they, and yet they rebelled. And so finally God says, I've had enough. I've got to discipline my children. I've got to discipline people. Uh, uh, enough is enough. Let me give you an example. On December 25th, 1908, on Christmas Day, 1908, a newspaper in Messina, uh, Sicily, uh, wrote an article in, uh, against God. They published it, and in the article, they dared God to make himself known by sending an earthquake. Three days later, the city was devastated by a terrible earthquake that killed 84,000 people. Now, there is a Greek word that, that describes that whole thing. Stupid. I, I mean, look, because of God's patience, those kinds of responses to rebellion are not the norm for him, but don't try him with rebellion. Don't say, okay, God, if you're God, you do this. Touche, God might say. Okay, I'm going to show you. He may say, enough is enough. There's been enough rebellion in you. Enough is enough. And if you want me to reveal myself, I'm going to reveal myself in your life. But now, if spiritual insubordination grieves the Holy Spirit, then how do we stay on course? Let me give you three things. Here's how you stay on course, right? Number one, obey everything you already know that he has asked of you. You want to stay on course? You obey everything you already know that he wants of you. That you there's some things. Perhaps you're here today or watching online and you say, there's some things I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing and uh, I need to start doing because God's already made that known to me. And so if you want to stay on course, always say yes to God. Uh, there are a lot of people who are living in what I call passive rebellion. Passive rebellion isn't when a person shakes their fist at God and says, God, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to follow you. That's, that's overt rebellion. That's like the newspaper. But passive rebellion oftentimes characterizes a believer's life. And passive rebellion says, I'm not against God. I love God. I believe in God. I'm grateful that God has saved me. And all. But a passive rebellion is that God has told you to do something. God has made clear that you're supposed to be obeying him in an area, and you just don't. And there's no, not even malice in your heart. You're just not obeying him. If you want to stay on course, walking in step with the Spirit, guess what? Obey everything you already know that he's asking you. Number two, obey the promptings that the Spirit of God puts in you. Obey the promptings that the Spirit of God puts in you. Now, let me give you a tip about that, okay? Here's the tip. The promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life will always align with, with the truth of God's Word. So, in other words, the Spirit of God will never prompt you in any way that defies Scripture. 
So always obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but know this, that if you interpret a prompting to be from the Spirit and that prompting clearly violates the Word of God, it is not from the Spirit of God. I'll tell you where it's from. It's from hell. So obey the promptings that He puts in you. I want to tell you something. When you become sensitive to the Spirit, you'll discover that there are a lot of little promptings in your life that you've never even classified as that's from the Spirit of God. God led me that way, or God, and it's consistent with the Spirit of God. And by the way, you may obey a prompting here or there, and people around you think you're a nut. As long as it's consistent with the Word of God, and you are, you are walking in the power of the Spirit, you let the Spirit prompt your heart. Number three, Obey by faith and not by feelings. You see, we have to learn to trust God beyond how we feel and beyond our assumptions about his way. Obey by faith and not by feelings. We are sensate people. That means our senses drive us. But sometimes we just need to say, God, this isn't about how I feel. This is about what you say, and I will just simply obey you. I'm going to just obey by faith, not by my, my feelings. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you a question. Ask yourself, where do I need to begin obeying God? You may say, I'm, I'm, I'm in lockstep with the Spirit. So, wonderful. But be honest with yourself and ask yourself, God, is there an area that I know I need to be obeying you in that I'm not obeying you? Start there okay that's where you start and it doesn't matter if anybody around you gets it or not you start right there God I'm going to obey you I know this is what you want in my life and as you listen as you become sensitive to obey him instead of insubordination guess what happens you begin to receive greater influence of the spirit in your life and you begin to recognize it, all right? So practice obedience and continual surrender. The antidote to insubordination or rebellion or disobedience that grieves the Holy Spirit, the antidote is obedience. Here's the last thing, and we're done. A third thing that you need to know about grieving the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is grieved through spiritual defamation. Verse 30 says, by whom you were sealed, the Spirit. Paul says, if you have not the Spirit of God on you, you do not belong to God. And he says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, you know what defamation is. You've heard of lawsuits about defamation of character. It, it means defamation is when you try to ruin someone. And did you know what Paul is saying here? We're sealed. When we get saved, we are identified by the seal of the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. So when we act in a manner that is inconsistent with our Savior, guess what we do? We, we bring defamation to the name and the character of God. Because you're a holy temple, the Bible says. You are the temple of God. And the Spirit of God resides in you. And so when you act any way other than as a child of God, guess what you do? You risk, you risk defaming his name. Let me say it this way. If you confess to be a Christian and yet you act and live like a non-Christian, you're misrepresenting who Christ is and it grieves the Holy Spirit because you bring uh, not fame, but you defame his name. 
when our daughter went off to college, um, Alice and I told her this. We said, sweetheart, we love you. And, but we're, we're, no, we're no longer going to be able to be there to, to direct everything. And we understand that you'll be able to make choices that we have no control over. So we want to tell you two things. And these are the two things we told her. Number one, always remember who you are. And by that, we're talking about internal character. Remember who you are in here. What has God taught you? What have you learned? Who are you in here? Not what somebody says about you or not the pressure that someone puts on you to shape you, but who are you according to what God has done in you? That was number one. The second one we said, so always remember who you are. And the second was always remember whose you are. And I said, that's not like, well, I'm, I'm your daughter and I'm her daughter. That, that is true, and you're carrying our name with you. And by extension, you can either bring fame or defamation to us in your actions and your behavior. But I said, most importantly to God, remember that you belong to God. Remember that, and then to us second. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. And the same is true for the believer. Every day, we have to remember who we are and whose we are. And if you're a believer, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you know what Jesus said about who you are? He says, you are not your own. Did you know that? It says that in the Scripture. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In other glorify God. Do you know what that means? Make him famous. There's a psalm in the Old Testament that tells us about making God's name famous. Now think about it. Defamous, defame, or famous. And, and you and I have the opportunity to make his name great. Because we are representing him. We are carrying his name with us. We are a reflection of his character before the world. And you're either uh, representing him and, and uh, making his name famous before the world, or you are misrepresenting him before the world. So, rather than defaming his name and grieving the Holy Spirit, I want to close with this. How can you make his name famous in your world? And let me give you three things real quick. If you want to make his name famous, see yourself as an ambassador for Christ. Now, I say that because it's biblical. In fact, all three of these things we give you are biblical. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God makes his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20, if you want to make him famous, see yourself as an ambassador of Christ. You are a representative of the kingdom of God. So when you get up in the morning, say, I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And you know the role of an ambassador. We have ambassadors all over the world. The role of an ambassador is not to make themselves famous. It is to make their nation famous or the, the president that they're serving under to make their policies and their name known, their country known. That's what an ambassador does. They are a representative of a kingdom. And that's exactly what the Bible says about us. You, with the name of Christ on you, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. When you get up, when you walk out of here today, think of yourself as an ambassador. When somebody asks you, what do you do? Say, well, I'm an ambassador. You're an ambassador? Yeah, I'm an ambassador. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
Because that's what the Bible says you are. So if you want to make his name famous, live as an ambassador. Identify yourself as a kingdom representative. Number two, you want to make his name famous? Practice emptying yourself of yourself. Practice emptying yourself of yourself. And in doing so, the goal becomes to bring greater glory or fame to his name. You remember the occasion in John's Gospel, chapter 3, when Jesus came on the scene and John baptized him and Jesus began what we call his public ministry. And the Scripture says that at a certain point in time, the disciples of John the Baptist became jealous And they went to John and said, hey, John, don't you understand something? Jesus now has more followers. There are more people coming to him than are coming to you. And you baptized him, and now all these people are going to him. You remember what John said? John didn't say, I know, I'm kind of, this kind of, I'm bummed out about that. John said, that's the way it's supposed to be. I've been the forerunner. And he said, he must increase and I have to decrease. So if you, if you want to make his name famous, practice emptying yourself of yourself. And then last, surrender to the Lordship of Christ and the Holy Spirit. You want to make him famous? Surrender. I didn't know Bradley and them were going to do I surrender all. But when God has a plan, it just kind of comes together, doesn't it? God's able to, to, to merge those things. I thought, what a perfect song. I surrender all. I I surrender all. Because eventually everything gets back to surrender. Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he talking about? He's talking about surrender. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. And he said, it's no longer about me. He said, the life I now live, even in my flesh, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God. Surrender. Surrender. Everything eventually gets back to surrendering to Christ. As I was working on this message, I thought about an old story that I came across years ago, and I'm just going to tell it to you. I don't remember all the particulars exactly, but it was a story about years ago, a man who had strung a high wire across uh, Niagara Falls, and we've seen people do that and walk across and everything, but this guy did something different. He was using a wheelbarrow to go back and forth across. He's pushing the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. First of all, anybody goes across Niagara Falls in the air on a wire is crazy. But he was doing this with a wheelbarrow, back and forth, back and forth. And he would change from now. He'd get back to the people's side over there, and they would fill his wheelbarrow up with something, whatever it may be, that rocks or whatever, and he would take it, and he'd walk across with a full wheelbarrow, come back. And, find. and he did this a few times with different kinds of things, and he says suddenly to the crowd, they're applauding, they're going, this guy's great and everything. And finally he says to the crowd, he says, now, does anybody believe I could, I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and take him across and bring him back? And everybody goes, yes, yeah, yeah. And there's this one guy on the front, and he was just screaming crazy. Yeah, man, we believe, we believe. And suddenly he looks down and says, come on then, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> you could not find that guy for the dust he, he left behind getting out of there. But you know, there are a lot of people there are a lot of people that say they believe in God, that they believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they say they follow him, but they've never stepped into the wheelbarrow. They've never stepped in the wheelbarrow. And they actually 
have never committed and surrendered themselves 100% to God. Andrew Murray, one of the great devotional writers, classic really, Andrew Murray said this, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life that is wholly yielded to him. He's just saying for the life that's surrendered to him, fully surrendered to him. D.L. Moody said his life was changed when he heard a man named Henry Varley say this, the world has not yet seen what one person totally committed to God can do. And he said, I determined that I would surrender myself completely and wholly to God so that God could do what he wanted through me. You remember Moses on the mountain with a burning bush. God said, there's a task I have for you. You remember what Moses said? He said, me? Who, me? He said, oh God, I, I don't have the stuff to do that. And God says, I'll be with you. Do you know they interviewed Billy Graham some years ago, and they asked Billy Graham, they said, how is it that God would, would you, you, he says, I don't know. He said, I'm just a country boy and simple preacher. You know what he was saying? He, but he said, I gave my all to him. And dear friend, I want you to know, you may never be a Billy Graham or D.L. Moody. That's not even the point. The point is, if you want to live life in the Spirit, you've got to surrender. I surrender. I surrender all. Are you surrendered? If not, the Spirit of God is grieved in our life. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're watching on live stream. Maybe in this room you're thinking, I, I, need, I need to surrender. And right now where you are, you say, I'm a believer, but I, I'm not surrendered. Or there's things that I need to be obeying God in that I haven't been obeying him in. And I don't want to grieve him. It's not my intention to grieve him. And so I surrender. And I, I, I will tell him now, I surrender and I will obey you so that your power can be made known however you want to make it known through my life. And I would invite you to pray to him right now. You talk to him in your heart and say, Lord, I need to take care of that. I need to get back on track. I need to surrender. I want to surrender all to you. You say, but I've done that before, Pastor. And it just I, then two days later, I find out that I've, I've reassumed control of my life. Well, then surrender again. This isn't an event. Surrendering to God is an event. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. It's a daily thing. Every day we get up and we have to say, God, I surrender today. Maybe several times during a day, God, I surrender today. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender all. Would you talk to him about that? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've never surrendered to Christ. I've been religious, but I've never trusted him as my Savior. And today I want to receive him as my Savior. I want to surrender my soul to him. And you can do that right where you are, watching us online, in this building, wherever you may be. You can pray and call out to him, say something like this, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you. And I surrender my soul to you. I invite you to come in and be my Savior, my Lord and Master. Now, Father, thank you for those who are watching, those in this room uh, that have called on your name today. Lord, help us. We don't, I, I think it's safe to say none of us want to grieve you and grieve the work of the Spirit in us. Would you, with the Spirit, address where we need to correct the course? And for those who have prayed and called on you to be their Savior today, would you help them begin this new journey of letting the Spirit take over their life and control and direct them? And Father, I, I thank you.
that you've provided power for us to live beyond our understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way before we're gone? Those of you who are watching by uh, uh, television or online, let me just say a couple of things to you. If you made a decision today or you called on him to trust him as your Savior, there's a couple of ways that you can let us know about your decision. If you're watching online, well, you can do it in this live audience as well. Take your uh, cell phone or or tablet or whatever it may be and text a word to us. Text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to this number, 334-384-8080. Pastor to that number. It should be on the screen if you're watching by live stream. You can also, if you're in the live audience, you can take that tear-off panel. It gives you an opportunity on the back to say, today I received Christ as my Savior, or I'd like to join Ridgecrest, or I need to be baptized. And you can just check one of those, and as you exit the room this morning, drop that in the offering baskets or at the back on the way out. Uh, online, just text the word. You say, I want to join. I know Christ is my Savior. I was talking about how many folks have connected with our church through this. On, online, you can do that too. You, instead of pastor, if you say, I'm already a believer, I just want to be a part of the Ridgecrest family, and when I start coming back, this is the place that I'll be at, then you text the word JOIN, J-O-I-N, to us at that same number, 334-384-8080. It should be on your screen. And so if you'll do that, we'll know. You don't have to do any more. We'll take it from there. In both cases, if you drop something in the basket, we'll handle it from there. Don't you worry about it.